Coming up on Golf Today, Chris Kirk gets it done at the Century, a signature win with a signature golf shot. Wait till you see what he did on the 17th at Kapalua. So what are the biggest and best storylines of 2024 in golf? And most importantly, will they come from inside the ropes or outside the ropes? And a prolific golf course architect, Eric Iverson, joins the show after his work at Wildlife. What were the challenges and opportunities on one of the great gems in golf? Find out next on Golf Today. Golf Today. Happy New Year, happy Monday. This is Golf Today. Damon Hack alongside Eamon Lynch, Golf Week Magazine. Eamon, like many folks with New Year's resolutions for 2024, I understand you want to play a little more golf this year. Oh, we all know that epiphany comes in January every year, Damon. I'm not sure it will survive a trip to Florida <laughs> in a couple of weeks. Good trophy year off to a good start in the Hack household. It's not Daddy's trophy, but yeah. it's a start. My youngest triplet, Miles, won his first L5 uh, in tennis at the MAC tournament in Manchester by the sea outside of Boston. I was unfortunately at home uh, battling uh, some sickness, but I'm back and happy to be uh, in studio with you. But yeah, I'm clearly, I'm, I might be the fifth best tennis player in the family behind the missus who's taking up the game as well. Fifth best athlete. <laughs> Why just limit it to tennis? Yeah, no doubt. Well, from new beginnings in golf for you in 2024, something coming to an end, some big news you've heard during the offseason, some rumblings that Tiger Woods and Nike have parted ways. That became official. This tweet from Tiger just minutes ago, over 27 years ago, I was fortunate to start a partnership with one of the most iconic brands in the world. The days since have been filled with so many amazing moments and memories. If I started naming them, I could go on forever. Phil Knight's passion and vision brought this Nike and Nike Golf partnership together, and I want to personally thank them along with the Nike employees and incredible athletes I've had the pleasure of working with along the way. People will ask if there's another chapter. Yes, there will certainly be another chapter. See you in L.A. Your thoughts on this end to one of the, the most notorious, known, you know, prolific partnerships that we've ever seen in sports. It really is one of the iconic marriages of athlete and brand with, with Tiger and Nike. Never more personified, I guess, than in that Masters in 2005 when that swoosh just hung on the edge of the 16th hole mm. in the final round that year. Um, but I mean, it's thankfully, they, Nike doesn't have the patent on Sunday Red, and Tiger is mm. not going to lack for partners elsewhere. And I, my guess is you're going to see him expand some of the existing partnerships mm. he has in terms of, of apparel moving forward. But it is definitely the most iconic brand marriage I think that we've ever seen in this sport. Yeah, he launched the Nike Golf brand with his golf. Of course, 2005, you cite the, the Chris DeMarco year. He came runner-up finisher to Tiger Woods in 2005 with that ball that just hung there and ultimately became a Nike commercial. I will tell you this, Eamon, my one hope is that whatever he comes out with in 2024, he's not looking like Michael Jordan in a Wizards jersey or Willie Mays in a Mets uniform. You want it to kind of blend with the the iconic person and player and athlete that he's been. You want it to blend. You don't want it to be somewhat dissonant to the eye and the ear. But then again, look at what Tiger wears off the golf course. How many dad jeans jokes have we seen <laughs> go around on Tiger in the last few years? Whatever it's going to be, we're going to see it in L.A. because that was the mm. part of his tweet. He suggested that he was going to be, he's certainly going to be at the Genesis Invitational since he is the host out there about five weeks from now. The question is, is he going to be in the field as mm. a competitor? 
That remains to be seen. Mm, a lot of talk about red. Georgia Bulldog, they are the color of red as well. A certain Georgia Bulldog had a fantastic weekend at Kapalua. Chris Kirk wins in his fifth start, by the way, at the century. His first start there since 2016. It comes less than two months after receiving the PGA Tour's Courage Award in November. Here now, Kirk, with more on his unique journey. I lost the joy of most things in life for a while there. Uh, but yeah, it's certainly certainly back. I just love, um, I think I just love how hard this is. Like it's so hard to, to be great at this. And I love the process that it takes. I love the work that it takes to, to try to be the best version of, of myself, you know? So um, I definitely have fallen back in, in love with that, that process and, you know, um, sometimes you get rewarded for it like today and, and sometimes you don't and that's just part of the part of the deal um, so I think to to be successful and to really enjoy your life as a PGA Tour player you've got to love the love the work you mentioned the you find joy in how hard this is do you mm -hmm. find the joy in just the process and, and the work leading up to the tournament or the or the actual tournaments themselves yeah both I mean I I love I love getting out there and, and competing but um yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure which one I I love more. You know, it's tough to say. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things. You know, if it if it was easy, it wouldn't really be nearly as fun. You know, so it's um, it's just really cool the whole the whole process that all of us go through to, you know, to try to be as efficient and be as good as we possibly can with our, you know, mental coaches, trainers swing instructors our caddies you know all of us are you know are so invested in 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 what we're doing and and it feels it feels amazing you know i've got the the kind of my group of people uh with michael my caddy jeremy elliott my agent scott hamilton my swing coach zach Sorensen is my mental coach and jake crane is my trainer i have have this group of people that are you know i don't I know beyond the shadow of a doubt, it's like they don't care because I pay them. They, they truly, really care about me and truly care about me being successful. And so I feel that every day, you know. And so it's, it's amazing having that, that group of people behind me. And, um, you know, it just makes me more motivated to want to wanna go work, work for it. I can't think of a better way to put this, but when you – you know, when you were contending at Rocket Mortgage in 20 and one on Corn Ferry, certainly one Honda last year, it's always, you know, the, the guy who had to step away to, to overcome alcohol and depression, et cetera. How much longer or will that be with you? When, you? when you do something great, the first reference is the guy who did this as opposed to who you are as a player, and are you okay with that? Yeah, I hope it stays with me forever. It's, uh, you know, it's a huge part of my, of my life uh, still now and, and um, you know definitely the the best thing that I've ever done in, in my life is to get sober so I I understand what you're saying that you know I, but I don't feel like it's taking away from anything that I'm accomplishing um, it's you know it's 100% the reason why I'm able to do what I do you know it's, I've said that a lot but um, there would be my PGA Tour career would have been over a while ago um, had I not gotten sober, and, and uh, so, yeah, I'm am fine with that that staying with me for till the day I die.
Could you have could you have done what you did without uh, going public? Um, I've never really thought about that. If I could have, um, it certainly has been helpful and been beneficial to me to be open and and be public about it. Um, you know, I, mean, I live a, a decent amount of my life sort of in in the public view, somewhat, anyways, and uh, so. You know, the the biggest thing for me was, you know, waking up every morning and looking at myself in the mirror and knowing that I've got nothing to hide and I can be proud of who I am. And so I didn't feel like that was really going to be quite as possible if I, if I was not um, open about it. Flashback just three years to the Sony Open and Kirk was playing on the final start of a major medical extension after seeking treatment for alcohol abuse and depression. He needed to get up and down here to keep his PGA Tour card, and he delivered. Barely two years after that day, he capped an amazing turnaround down in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida, beating Eric Cole in a playoff to win the Cognizant Classic, it was then the Honda Classic, for his first win in more than seven years. And Eamon, he has kept it going on Sunday. The 38-year-old picked up his sixth career PGA Tour win, recording a personal best 30 birdies in a 72-hole event on tour. And this is someone who's been around for a long time, was a decorated collegian at Georgia, now has six career wins on the PGA Tour, made a U.S. President's Cup team back in 2015, a three-time winner on the Corn Ferry Tour, was a Ben Hogan Award winner in 2007 at the aforementioned Georgia, and of course, a member of the Walker Cup team in 2007 as well. And I have to say, I mean, there are a couple things that stand out to me in this story. One is just the golf that he played uh, this past week, in particular on the 17th hole. It, it became a little bit windy later in the day. He considered hitting uh, a seven iron into that downhill uh, par four. Instead, he switched to a five iron. And, and to see him from 209 yards feather that golf shot, you've got Jordan Spieth in the hunt. You've got Saith Tagala in the hunt, and that was the, the finishing touch. That was the knockout blow, as it were. And, you know, you hear players switching from, from a five iron to a six iron or a, a gap wedge to a, to a pitching wedge, but to go from seven iron to five iron and absolutely flush it the way you want to, I'll remember this golf shot for a long, long time. And then the second thing, Eamon, is how he handled the question about, you know, the story's always going to be is you, you, you got sober, you had to step away from golf, and you heard it in that sound. So, you know what, I hope that stays with me forever, because I can't do what I did on the golf course had I not gotten sober. And it's also a great example to other people who might be struggling that turnarounds can happen, can have positive mm. effects. And to, to the point on 17, the leaderboard was getting tight, but Chris Kirk never did. Mm. And there, there's no stroke scale metric out there for Cam, but he seemed to have an incredibly unruffled count. What would you give for that kind of tempo? Yeah, absolutely. That Chris Kirk has, but even in the manner of walking down the fairway, he looks like a guy who's completely unruffled. He's not stressed by anything. And he's got reason not to be stressed. I mean, he only missed 12 greens all week and got up and down 11 times. Yeah. I wouldn't be stressed playing golf if that was the situation either. But he was a perfect antidote to this obsessive conversation about money all the time, mm -hmm. that that's all that matters, that that's all these guys care about. Chris Kirk is a perfect example that money doesn't really matter that much. In fact, golf doesn't actually matter that much. Yeah, it's a great point. I love what Kevin Kisner, of course, a Georgia Bulldog as well. We'll get into Kevin a little bit later on the show, him making his debut with NBC Sports and our golf team. And he talked about this player, Chris Kirk, and saying, you know, I think he said it on Saturday. He goes, he's not going to back up. He's not the type of player who's going to back up. And I kind of just filed that away in my head and said, well, we'll see what happens 
on Sunday when you've got, you know, these top 50 players from the previous FedEx Cup points list and also the winners from the past season. And, and sure enough, he did not back up. Bogey-free 65 in the final round, 31, 34. The quality of shots, especially on that 17th down the stretch. But it, was, it wasn't a throwaway line, but it was just a little bit of, of you know, we don't maybe know Chris Kirk. He's not a, a big name like a, a Justin Thomas, a he's Jordan not thumping Speed. His chest out there he's either. quiet, as you yeah. say. But to hear Kevin Kisser say, this is not a player who's going to back up. He did not back up. He put the put the foot the foot down uh, on the gas and got that sixth career win and probably the you know to make an argument the biggest win of his career. It's certainly got to be up there. I mean, he won the Deutsche Bank Bank in 2014 when it was one of the FedEx Cup playoff events. So he's he's competed and won against the absolute elite yeah. fields in the game before. This one's probably a little bit more special for him mm. given what has transpired in the years since then. But there was absolutely no backup. In this yeah. guy yesterday, this is a golf course where we, on a show with Rich and Brandle last week, we basically said this is autobahn golf. You just got to yeah. put your foot down and you go, or you're getting past. If if you're going the speed limit, you're being left mm. in the dust. And you basically had to go out there this week and shoot six, seven, eight under par yeah. every day to keep yourself in the mix. And he did that. He he went out there right in the mix, top of the leaderboard, and there was no back off yeah. at all. And at no point did he look like a guy who was starting to get jittery. Yeah. Other people were making a move, but it's not as though Chris Kirk started to wobble mm. at all out there. He could be one of those guys who's just going to build a very impressive career mm. very quiet. Yeah. In a way, he kind of reminds me of, you know, a Brad Faxon. Brad ended his career with, on the PGA Tour with eight victories, which every rookie going out there this year would kill for that. Yeah. No they doubt. really would. And Chris Kirk, he, he might be the most unheralded six-time winner we've had yeah. in a while on this tour. And a couple guys threw, what, 63? Adam yesterday, Sahith Tagala and Sung and J.M. Fire, yeah. as well. Did you like the, the opening signature event? It's our first signature event of 2024. Your thoughts, big picture on, on what you saw in this kind of opening event? I always enjoy it simply because I enjoy what I would refer to as Scotland with better weather in yeah. terms of the, the journey the ball takes after it hits the ground. It makes the golf course much more interesting as, as a viewing spectacle out there. I don't have a problem with it being an absolute birdie fest yeah. all year long. Unless you've got winds blowing 30, 40 miles an hour, it's really hard to defend mm. wide open golf courses against these guys. Um, it, it's, it's hard to get an opening day vibe at Kapalua. There mm. just aren't a lot of people there. Mm. It's not as though you're ever going to really have the raucous attitudes that you get when we get certainly to the West Coast venues. But to me, it, it's a good place to start off the year. It's a good golf course. The guys seem a little bit more relaxed. Yeah. You start to see who's knocking the rust off pretty quickly, and then you get a good sense of who's actually got something to, to work on over the next few weeks. Speaking of the West Coast, let's take a look at the upcoming schedule on the PGA Tour for 2024. Of course, the Sony Open concludes the so-called opening drive, this PGA Tour two-step in Hawaii, and then four out of the five in the state of California, so-called West Coast swing with the WM Phoenix Open. You said Rock is aiming opposite the Super Bowl once again. Coming up right now, we're joined by Shane Ryan, author and, of course, a part of Golf Digest. Great to see you, buddy. We're coming off the first signature event of the year. Your thoughts on Chris Kirk's sixth victory on the PGA Tour. Yeah, you know, I was there for his first victory. In fact, it was the first tournament I covered uh, in 2013 at Sea Island when uh, I was writing my book. And he beat Briny Baird, who was one of the classic, uh, you know, great PGA Tour players who never got a win, I think, for a long time. Uh, he was the leading money leader who had never won on the tour. But yeah, Chris Kirk, what a great story. Uh, one of the first people I interviewed uh, as a golf journalist, really nice guy. 
and obviously what he's come through. Um, it's uh, pretty cool to see to see what he did there. And, you know, like Eamon was saying before the break, he looked amazing. This is a course where you can't stop making birdies, and he, he just never did. On that subject of making birdies or not stopping making birdies on this course, Shane, are you okay with the ease with which Kapalua plays every year? You know, we're coming out of the winter. It's a bit of a birdie fest. The guys all seem happy. Or would you like to see a little bit more rigor applied to these guys first off? Yeah, I, I don't think it's a, that big a deal for me. Uh, I think, you know, once in a while during the course of the year, I want to see really difficult conditions. I want to see it at the U.S. Open. I want to see players mad. And, you know, in the, in the Open Championship, I always want the wind to blow. But, you know, for, for a tournament like this where you're in a beautiful setting, it's I think it's pretty cool to start the year seeing guys able to just tear up a course, you know, seeing excellence writ large, uh, basically like inviting Steph Curry to just shoot free throws over and over, but more exciting than that. That actually makes it sound really boring. No, I think it's cool. I think 29 under doesn't bother me one bit at a tournament like this. There's a, there's a time and place for that. And I think Hawaii in January is that time and is that place. Let's get to the first kind of mini controversy of the year. Scotty Scheffler has voted PGA Tour Player of the Year last week had a fantastic season john ram won a major and won twice as many tournaments as scotty scheffler didn't get it the difference maker to my mind is the voting period was december 1st through december 14th john ram left in the middle of that voting period to go to live after weeks of noise preceding that that he was going to make the jump is this a fair reflection of how you think the vote would have gone if john ram was still on the pga tour or were the players saying you know what there's the door we're not giving you a goodbye gift well, let me give you two answers. The first answer I'll give you is that a data, a data nerd, a stats nerd, which is that, look, Scotty Scheffler by far let every player in strokes gain. He was the best ball striker all year. He was statistically the best player. Okay, so in that sense, I think you can easily justify giving the award to Scotty Scheffler kind of in a vacuum, right, with no context. Yeah, but they don't uh, give awards for spreadsheets out here, Shane. We're, they give awards for trophies. <laughs> Well, maybe they should. No, you're absolutely right. Like, you don't have to be Sherlock Holmes to deduce that, hey, maybe something that happened later in the year might have influenced this, because you're right. Wins are the ultimate thing we talk about. Now, Scheffler, to his credit, won the Players' Championship, but to your point, uh, you know, John Rahm won, I think, three PGA Tour events, and critically, he won a major. He won the Masters. So, if the shoe were on the other foot, you know, and, and Scotty Scheffler was the one who left for live golf do i think they would have found their way to giving the award to john rom why yes i do it's gonna shock you uh to think that i believe that but no i mean look you can justify giving the award to scotty scheffler but let's not pretend that the uh the live golf move didn't at least influence the uh the decision there wait a second justify or unjustify four is greater than two and some say the masters is the greatest of all time who would you have voted for i would have voted for john rom period full stop yeah, I think I would have voted for Rom as well. Uh, I guess what I'm saying is that if you were giving an MVP award in baseball, you wouldn't say, well, this player didn't win the World Series, so we can't give him the MVP award. You could argue that wins, there's an element of luck there. And again, I'm talking as a complete numbers nerd here. I understand that. Probably people are throwing rotten vegetables at their TV screen now. I'm just saying the best player in terms of who is making the best shots the most consistently was Scotty Scheffler. I would have voted for Rom, I think, because I do agree with you guys that the win is the the paramount thing in golf. I remember asking Adam Scott once, do you think it's, you know, unlucky that you only have one major? It's not a fair reflection. And he gave an honest answer saying, no, you got to go out and win the majors. And historically, I think the majors are a really good reflection of who the best players were. So Yes, you do have to win. I'm just kind of playing uh, 
devil's advocate there uh, with the with the numbers angle. We haven't spoken to you since John Rom decided to go to live. We're in that kind of awkward part of the season. He won four times, including the Masters. So there'll be some title defense slash non-title offenses because he's not a part of the tour anymore. What did you just think of his decision for the most part? Yeah, it was uh, a little bit surprising. Uh, you know, the quotes everybody trotted out from a year earlier where he said, you know, I've already got enough money. That's not what matters in life and all that stuff. Uh, and then he goes. Um, I would say, you know, putting aside the morality of his decision or the ethics of it or whatever, which uh, fortunately or not has become almost a passe discussion at this point in golf. I think the impact it has more broadly, the biggest thing is that it was a real shot across the bow uh, from Live Golf. Uh, essentially telling the PGA tour, Hey, if you had a thought of, uh, you know, after we dropped the lawsuits, if you had a thought of slinking back and taking your VC money and forgetting about us, well, here's what you're going to deal with. You're going to deal with us trying to poach your best players and succeeding. Um, when you look at the history of guys that live golf signed, I think the first one that was really sort of, you know, stopped you in your tracks was Cam Smith. That was the one that was hard to explain away saying, okay, this is really obviously a really good player in his prime. Uh, this was that times 10, right? I mean, John Rahm, whether he moves the needle or not, truly in a global stage, whether anyone does beyond Tiger Woods, the point is he's a really good player, uh, a really <laughs> fascinating player to watch, always been one of my favorite players to talk to. So to him to go to live golf was a really just massive, massive moment that is going to affect, I think, future negotiations. The, all of the broader noise around this issue, Shane, came out last week in some public comments that Mackenzie Hughes made He's very much in the journeyman category in the PGA Tour, but he is a member uh, of the PAC committee among the players. And he basically suggested that there's a growing divide between the best players and the rest of the players in terms of some guys are driving the bus and other guys aren't being consulted on the direction that bus is going. Do you buy the argument that this divide is growing, it's getting more divisive, and is that unavoidable? Yeah, I do buy the argument. Uh, I think, you know, this is what happens when you don't have a union, right? <laughs> you're not going to, at this point in golf, if you command a lot of money or they think you command a lot of money, you're going to get a lot of money. And if you're a journeyman, you are going to have to go along for the ride. So I also hear the argument that, hey, these guys are making a lot of money and this high tide is probably going to raise all ships. The Mackenzie Hughes of the world may not make less money than they did before. Um, but to your point, is it inevitable? Yes, 100% inevitable. It was inevitable the moment the PIF got involved in golf and started throwing these massive numbers around. The PGA Tour had to do whatever they could to, first of all, try to avoid you know this ruining their sport. And, and a big part of that is catering to your best players so they don't go. And someone's going to get lost in that mix, and it's going to be the journeyman. Uh, I think I, I've heard them derisively refute, uh, referred to as mules on, on social media. Uh, those guys are not going to have a say, but it's also important to note that they may also not make less money. So there's a, a few things to balance there. You know, Shane, it's January 8th. We've The, the deadline for December 31st obviously moved forward as, as um, talking about this framework agreement. Is the PJ Tour in a position of strength? Is it a precarious position? Where do you see things right now just in terms of the tour uh, without a deal in place at this point? Well, you know, keeping in mind that I'm not, you know, inside the negotiations room or anything like that, I don't have too much inside information. What it looks like to me, and I think most people would agree, is that, you know, they're looking at this, you know, the Fenway group, things like that. The the VC money uh, might be a good way to sort of mitigate the Saudi influence in this. But at the same time, the VC money is not going to want to invest in the PGA Tour if the reality of what they're investing is, is guess what? You've got a 
uh, a rival with bottomless pockets who's going to continue poaching your best players. So I would think the Fenway Sports Group wants the PIF involved at this point uh, because they've shown how committed they are. Uh, the PIF, how they feel about the, the VC money is a little bit more negligible. We don't know. Um, I still think the PGA Tour is in a precarious position in the sense that it behooves them to do a deal. Uh, and there's also some precarity involved in the question of how much influence they're going to have after this deal is done. And I would think that they're trying to seize that and get some control and, and have a say moving forward. But it, it certainly gets complicated when you think about, you know, who's actually going to be bankrolling most of this. There's a there's a growing sentiment, both in, in conversations that I have with people, and you certainly see it on social media, Shane, that fans are getting turned off by all of the conversation, the politics, the money, the, the backbiting. And I'm curious if you think that's actually something that's true, that, that they care less, that they're watching less. Is there a knock-on effect that the players seem particularly ignorant of? Because that was one of the things Mackenzie Hughes pointed out, is that the trickle-down effect to the fans who are being turned off by what the players are actually doing and saying. Yeah, I, I think it's a big potential problem. Uh, and when I say that, you look at the TV ratings last year, they weren't down. Uh, they were, if anything, static. They may have gone up a little bit. Uh, and so this year could be a, a big test of that. But I do think if you look at, and I wrote about this in Golf Digest, if you look at sports like, you know, IndyCar, which we kind of laugh at now, that open wheel race car racing. In the 70s, that was the biggest deal in America. It was bigger than NASCAR. It was almost bigger than F1. Then they had a similar split, right? They split apart into two different organizations and people tuned out because you didn't have the best people competing against each other. And they didn't like that. Boxing, of course, you don't have to tell you. It used to be the with baseball, the biggest thing going in America. Now they have 8 million different classifications. You can't get the two best players to fight. Uh, MMA has, you know, if not exceeded them as close to, and boxing is on the wane in popularity. Golf is a niche sport like this, where it's enjoyed some, you know, great viewership, and it has a, a solid base of people watching, but you don't want to take it for granted. This is not football. This is not baseball, right? This is something that uh, is precarious. And so if you annoy enough fans... And you have a, uh, a schism for too long. I think that's a huge, huge issue where, you know, the people who are paying the TV contract now, they might look at it and say, geez, I think we may be paying like too much for golf at this point. Like, I don't think it justifies renewing in 2030 or whenever it comes up next. So you got to be careful of that. And uh, I think we should be watching the TV ratings really closely this year to see if there is that fan fatigue. Like, I don't care about this stuff anymore. Shane, uh, speaking of splits, Tiger Woods and Nike parting ways after some 27 years together as Tiger announced on social media today. What's the top line for you in this story? Is it the strength and length of this partnership or, or this new beginning potentially for Tiger? The top line for me is, look, I appear on the Golf Channel roughly once per month, and uh, there's space here, Nike. If you guys are looking for someone after Tiger, uh, I certainly can be bought. No, I, I think the, the top line, Damon, um, yeah, just a long, long partnership. We saw a similar thing, I think, with Nike and Roger Federer, where it gets to the point where it's probably not sustainable anymore, or they, you know, both parties decide the value isn't there. But it, it's so, um, you know, I remember being a kid when Tiger Woods came out and, and buying those Tiger Nike hats. There was something magical about it, which it maybe feels a little lame to say now because it is a brand, right? But at the time, you associated Tiger so completely with that Nike brand, with that hat, um, that it is. It's, it's crazy to think that he'll not be wearing the swoosh on his head anymore. It's hard to imagine, but uh, maybe uh, we talk about inevitable things. Maybe this is another one. Well, wherever he goes, Shane, I'm sure you're going to have an opportunity to add some more apparel to the collection. It's always <laughs> good to catch up with you. Look forward to it next time. Thank you, guys. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? 
also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Shit. We're back on golf today, continuing our roundtable. We're going to continue here with Rex, though. And Rex, there's a, an ongoing situation out at the Sony Open right now. There's a bunch of Corn Ferry Tour graduates. They're doing their rookie orientation for the PGA Tour out there. They're not in the field, and they're not particularly happy about it. And it shouldn't be a surprise. I mean, last year, 19 of 38 guys went from the Century over to Sony. This year, there were 59 guys in the Sony field, and 38 of them moved across so, so there's less space for guys to get in the field especially guys who are at the bottom of the pecking order should these guys be surprised that this situation has arose it's unfortunate and i can certainly see where some of them are coming from reading the stories this morning about just by when you look at the way the new priority rankings are put together those players specifically from q school and on the back end of the corn ferry tour graduates they're behind those graduates off the DP World Tour, if you want to call them that. And so everything has just gotten compressed. Everyone's starts are going to start getting squeezed a little bit, but they shouldn't be surprised. There was a memo that the tour sent out in November that specifically addressed this. They said, essentially, if you're not in the top 70 off the FedEx Cup points list after last year, you're going to expect about 10% fewer playing opportunities. And this is really straightforward. There goes to seven different signature events field that essentially have almost got cut in half. So if you do the math on that, it's really easy to figure out why there's going to be fewer playing opportunities this year. Now, to the tour's credit, they have circled back around this year, and they're trying to mitigate that as much as they can. They've expanded the fields for both Tampa, Houston, and the Texas Open. They've also expanded the field for Fort Worth. That's Charles Schwab Challenge. However, those are only going to go so far. I think this is going to be a story we're going to be talking about all year. Rex, do the players coming off the Corn Ferry Tour have a point, some of them saying, hey, why are the 10... DP World Tour graduates, of course, this a strategic alliance between the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour is why they have those spots available at the Sony. Five players from the DP World Tour in the field from that exemption. And, and here's the, the AAA, as it were, of the PGA Tour, and those players are behind those players from Europe. Do you see their, their point that they're upset and that maybe those things should be flipped upside down? 100% I see exactly where they're coming from and if I'm a player who is in Hawaii right now that expected to have a start and now you're in the Monday qualifier I can imagine the aggravation level is through the roof much like it is when I'm trying to call Ryan Lavner and he hangs up on me but I think in this particular case you would have to go back to last year and the writing was on the wall as soon as the PGA Tour started talking about exactly how they were going to work these fields and if you, if you were aggravated about it then you needed to say something. You needed to go to the pl uh, player directors on the policy board and the directors on the pack because this was always going in this direction. Players are just now starting to notice it. And it's somewhat questionable, Rex, if even the guys on the pack feel as though they're being listened to or at least that their, their opinions are actionable. We heard some comments from Mackenzie Hughes over the last couple of weeks in interviews, including last week in the Century, which suggests a growing divide between the best and the rest. Uh, as to where the tour is going and, and whose opinions are being represented in what that future direction is going to be. Do you see that as a narrative that's just going to grow during the course of this year whenever it becomes clear what the new future looks like and frankly who's being left behind? 
I have never seen the conversation shift so dramatically on the PGA Tour. If you go back decades now, it was all about making sure the, star, tar, the stars were taken care of, but you also wanted to be there for the rank and file players because the idea was, even in the PGA Tour's own mission statement, it was to create playing opportunities for all of the membership. That has changed dramatically right now, and we've seen it kind of over the last year and a half. This goes all the way back to the meeting in Delaware with all of the top players, and that was two falls ago. And the, the move has been towards protecting the stars and making sure the stars are taken care of. Now, there's something to be said for, and you, this was brought up in the last segment, that it's going to help everyone out. That if you continue to have progress, if the purses continue to go up, that everyone's going to uh, benefit from that. In this particular case, though, we have players who are in Hawaii right now that aren't going to get starts in the Sony Open, one in previous years they probably would have, and it's only going to happen more and more over the course of the season, but I wouldn't imagine anything's going to change, if at all, in the near term, because the focus is still going to be on the star players. Right now, the PGA Tour needs to make sure that no more stars go to live golf, regardless of where we are in those conversations. Speaking of star players, Tiger Woods, of course, with a big voice in terms of PGA Tour governance these days. The news today, though, the end of a 27-year-plus relationship between Tiger Woods and Nike. Your thoughts on really one of the iconic relationships that sports has ever known? I think Eamon hit on it perfectly, and there was a lot of talk about this at the Hero World Challenge when Tiger was wearing his signature red and black on Sunday, and some people were saying on social media that we'll never see that again. Well, Nike Golf didn't have the market cornered on red and black. I'm sure he'll still be wearing red and black on Sundays, but it certainly is, I don't even want to call it an error. It seems like it was more of uh, something that you would just expect over the course of an entire lifetime because him wearing red and black, him wearing the swoosh, him wearing his own TW logo on his hat, that's just part of who he was. It will be shocking the next time we see him. We assume it's going to be at the Jenna's Invitational during his event in Los Angeles in just a few weeks. It's going to be surprising because none of us have ever seen him play golf without a Nike swoosh on. I understand where it's coming from. This isn't as if Nike Golf moved on from Tiger Woods. They just moved on from golf. And so this is something that all of their staff members are going to have to deal with. But it will still be shocking. And maybe the new look, though, ultimately will be iconic as well. Great stuff from Rex Hoggett. We appreciate him. Jo the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Joining us. The first event of 2024 is in the books with a feel-good winner. John Wood was on the call for NBC out at Kapalua, and he's going to join us to talk about Chris Kirk's trial, Kevin Kisner's debut, and Scotty Scheffler's woes. And as the PGA Tour island hops to Oahu, we're going to be joined by the man who just a few years ago oversaw the restoration of the Seth Rayner course that has hosted the PGA Tour since 1965. Golf Today continues right now. Golf Today. Welcome back into Golf Today, another hour on top. Damon Hack alongside Eamon Lynch. And we're talking breakups today, the end of a great partnership, an amicable end to a great partnership. Tiger Woods has parted ways with Nike after 27 mm. years. We've heard from Tiger 
on this earlier, and now we are hearing from Nike with the caption, it was a hell of a round, Tiger. Nike statement saying, Tiger, you challenged your competition, stereotypes, conventions, the old school way of thinking. You challenged the entire institution of golf. You challenged us, and most of all, yourself. And for that challenge, we're grateful. Mm, think of all the collaborations, the, the commercials, Hello World, I am Tiger Woods, Tiger breaking windows, you know, hitting shots through all the different windows. Uh, the great collaboration with Rory McIlroy when they were hitting, you know, golf shots into, into wedding glasses on a long table. Uh, and Nike also, you know, there for the, the high-flying moments, but also some tough times in, in Tiger's life and, and stuck with him through some dark moments. This has been a, a relationship that really stood the test of time, and we've seen some remarkable things both on the course, but also that transcended the game and became a part of pop culture as well. And I think it's probably worth noting that Nike's interest in golf kind of diminished mm -hmm. and contracted as Tiger's playing peaked also contracted mm. as well. And they're essentially have a very limited footprint in the golf industry right now. And I, I, I don't know that any athlete has been more, certainly not any golfer has been more associated with one specific brand than Tiger has with Nike. But I also think it contributed to this idea that Tiger was a corporate cipher of some kind, that he hid mm. behind branding and commercials and messages that he was being paid for as opposed to messages of conscience mm. at the time. Now, athletes are not required to issue any kind of personal statements. They're not required to let people in. And Tiger was never that keen, at least in the early days of his career, of letting people in. So I, I thought that the Nike relationship served a dual purpose. It was a great branding move for Nike, and it was very useful for Tiger in the sense that whenever he had to sort of tackle an issue, it was often in mm. that kind of commercial context. Well, I think Tiger in a lot of ways followed the, the Michael Jordan model of being somewhat agnostic when it came to controversial topics. What's so fascinating to me is that following in Michael Jordan's footsteps with a brand like Nike, who, who would have ever imagined someone could get that close to, to what the significance of a relationship that, that Nike and Michael had as Tiger and Nike had, and some could say it surpassed it. It definitely, you know, listen, I'm wearing Jordans as we speak right now on set. I mean, that's an iconic relationship. This one is as well. You can make the argument Tiger launched Nike Golf. Without Tiger Woods, would there have been a, a Nike Golf that lasted as long as it did? And Tiger teased in his statement earlier, he said there will be another chapter. Yeah, so that's interesting. whoever that other chapter is, they got to be licking their chops right now, <laughs> knowing what's going to come. Whenever Tiger shows up at, at Riviera about five weeks from now for the Genesis Invitational, as certainly as host, possibly as a player as mm. well, even though it is a signature event, there are little slots kept in there for Tiger Woods who wants to show up, who wasn't top 70 on the FedEx Cup last year or, or top 50. Uh, it, it's going to be an enticing, tantalizing week to see who that next brand partnership is and one would assume that's the week it's going to be announced. Do you think it will be as significant as, as Dom Chu, for example, we just spoke to, says that it could be? Los Angeles, you know, not far from where Tiger Woods grew up, at the tournament that benefits his foundation, coming out with some new company, some new logo. That'll at least be a big talking point on that Tuesday or Wednesday he's sitting in front of the cameras. I don't buy the argument that Tiger's particularly entrepreneurial at this stage. I think he's leveraging the brand that he's built. I don't see Tiger building his own. He's never even built his own management agency with a lot of those guys like Arnold Palmer did over the years, or even Rory McIlroy went and did. He's never gone into that kind of independent sphere. He's leveraged the brand equity that he's built up on the PGA Tour with partners. He's never sought to create his own 
kind of mm. commercial empire. So I don't necessarily see Tiger launching a brand of his own. I see him launching, as he did with Nike, a Tiger brand within another company. If I was going to bet, I'd say TaylorMade is the most likely bet mm. for that. That's uh, probably the biggest partnership within the golf space that Tiger Woods now has. And, you know, the, they're very much committed to Tiger. He's very much committed to them. So we're, we're, we don't have to wait that long to find out, Damon. End of an era, perhaps. I mean, this was an old-school relationship. It, it kind of was a throwback. You, you think of mm. the relationship Arnold Palmer had uh, with companies, you know, throughout his life, uh, you know, decades spanning in, in some instances. You know, these days things are a little more, you know, ephemeral. You know, they don't seem to last as long, a little more nebulous. We're in a social media age. This was a decades-long relationship, very old-school in a lot of ways. It is, but, you know, the Nike-Federer deal ended as well. Another mm -hmm. iconic partnership that ended whenever Federer really only had about a year of, of competitive tennis left yeah. in him. Let's hope Tiger has a lot more left in the tank than Federer did at the end of his Nike deal before he moved to Uniqlo. Mm. Um, but, you know, these things all run their course. 27 years for a sports partnership uh, at this scale, at that level, with that level of scrutiny attached to it, mm. is a remarkable run. I'm surprised it lasted mm. as long as it did, simply because of, you know, commercial priorities change in companies along the way. Leadership changes. You know, people decide to want to invest in different sports. That's ultimately what happened with Nike and golf, it's simply not a sport that they're going to have a particularly big footprint anymore. Mm. It's an incredible relationship. A lot of winning happened in that relationship between Tiger Woods and Nike. Speaking of winning time now for winning moments, presented by Win Grips. In case you missed it yesterday on Maui, Chris Kirk added a signature win to his career resume. Fired that final round 65, secured PJ Tour win number six by a single shot over Sahith Tadala. And with the win, Kirk jumps the 21st in the official World Golf ranking. And after the win, caught up with our very own Andrew Bradley. Chris, congratulations. Win number six on the PGA Tour. What was the main key to you getting it done today? I'd say the my my mental approach was just so good. Um, you know, I, obviously I was swinging the club great and, and uh, my putting stroke felt good. All those aspects felt, felt really good, but um, I just felt so Calm and confident. Probably had more more self belief today than I've than I've had in in the last few years. Um, my my game has kind of been there, but today was was one of those days where you know I just fully believed in what I was doing and and I was able to execute. Why do you believe you had more self belief today than in the past few years? Um, for a lot of reasons, but um, I think that you know just the. The work that I've done with uh, Zach Sorensen over the last year, really, but um, we spent some time together over the off season and, and a lot of time working with uh, with Zach and and uh, my, Michael, my caddy, and, and Jake, my strength trainer, and we all kind of formed a little bit of a team and just were like, all right, you know, let's let's flip over every rock and let's go down every path we can and and figure out what we can do to to be better. You know, it was uh, I felt like last year was a great year. Um, a little bit bittersweet, not quite making the Tour Championship. So I was motivated to come back and, and you know, be better this year. And, and uh, it's working so far. You went almost eight years in between wins before picking up the win last year. Mm -hmm. Now you pick up one, you know, less than a year again. Do you feel, do you appreciate these wins a little bit more at this part of your career? No doubt, yeah. Um, you know, really I'm just... 
I'm just so thankful that, you know, God's given me a second lease on life, and these last five years have been incredible. Uh, my family's incredible. I'm so thankful for them. And, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just enjoying, and I'm really enjoying that this is what I do for a living. You know, I love, I love the work that goes into to being one of the best players in the world. And, uh, you know, you never know if it's going to be quite validated like it was this week. But, um, you know, I just really have kind of fallen in love with the process. And, uh, yeah, it makes the wins really, really sweet. Lastly, a win, obviously, in the first event of the year. Got to get your year off to a great start. Does this change any of your goals that you maybe set for yourself? Or is it just, or just kind of just, this is just part of it? Uh, maybe, you know, we'll, I'll, I'll get together with Zach and, and Michael and, and um, we'll – you know, probably need to reassess, you know, because obviously one of the biggest goals of, of the year was to was to win. And so, you know, that may have been something that happened last year where I won very early in the season. And, uh, you know, you have a little bit of what now. And so um, I think that we'll, we'll all get together and we'll sit down and we'll go through it and say, okay, what, you know, instead of sitting there and saying what now, then we'll, we'll figure out what now. Quietly building a formidable resume out here. That's six PGA Tour wins for Chris Kirk, who was a member of the 2015 U.S. President's Cup team. He has three wins on the Corn Ferry Tour, and it's the kind of resume you'd expect from a guy who was basically College Player of the Year, the Ben Hogan Award winner back in 2007, the same year he played on the Walker Cup team. Speaking of great resumes, world number two, four-time major champ, pride of Hollywood, Northern Ireland, Rory McIlroy making his 2024 debut at the DP World Tour event. What's the new year hold for Rory? Find out next. Golf Central Update, brought to you by Callaway Golf. The DP World Tour kicks off 2024 in Dubai. The inaugural Dubai Invitational, the first of two straight weeks in the city for the DP World Tour. 60 players, a no-cut event with a pro-arm version for the first three rounds as well. Wow. You know, Eamon, I went to Dubai for the first time last year, and I wish I had brought my clubs. Check out this sixth tee box this week. I mean, beautiful. I got the flowers. You got to walk out to this tee over water. It's a par four. You got yachts to look at. A lot of money in Dubai, I'm told. Well, <laughs> they could probably build a floating golf course at this point as well, Damon. How about this field? You got the... European Ryder Cup captain once and again, Luke Donald. You got Tommy Fleetwood. You got the Hoygaard twins. You got Foxy, friend of the program. You got Rory, Molinari, Morant. This is a strong, strong field. And how about Rory McIlroy, who's been the center of attention in a lot of discussions in 2023? What's on his plate for 2024? Hopefully back to golf, since the only time we've seen him really over the winter is showing up at a Manchester United game or in other non-golf settings. It's probably a big year for him in the sense that he's, by his admission, put all of the, the board details, the politics behind him. As of the, late last year, he was off the PGA Tour's policy board a year earlier than his term would have expired. Mm -hmm. Jordan Spieth has replaced him. So he, he doesn't have all of those sort of endless meetings and conversations, but he's clearly still going to be involved in, in discussions going on around that. But if the focus is returning to his golf game, probably where it should be, because it is going to be a big year for Rory McIlroy, and it's not just that you will go to Augusta with the usual millstone around his neck of, are you ever going to win here? But there's a reminder here as well. We're going back in May to Valhalla for the PGA Championship. That was the site of Rory McIlroy's last major championship victory 10 mm, years ago. Yeah. He's still only 34 years old. He'd be 35 by the time he gets there. 
But 10 years is a big gap in the middle of a guy's career. It is. I think that millstone is still around his neck, but I think it's smaller. I think it's smaller with the uncertainty going on in the game of golf and the fact that he stepped away from those discussions. I think the millstone is smaller because Tiger Woods is going to play more golf this year. I think the more Tiger, in some ways, the better it is for Rory McIlroy to arrive to a tournament and kind of be a little bit under the radar. Maybe that'll take some pressure off him as he tries to win this elusive fifth major championship and complete maybe the hardest thing to do in this sport, a career grand slam at the Masters. But I think the less noise around him, the better. I think his decision to step away from the politics of the game and of the moment, and this moment seems to be lasting a lot longer than maybe a lot of us thought it would even a couple of years ago, uh, the better for him to focus on the things inside the ropes. But every time a John Rahm or someone of that ilk goes to live, it gets a lot harder for Rory McIlroy to show up at a tournament with less noise around him because, you know, Rahm was one of those guys who w was a lightning rod. He would draw a lot of attention, a lot of questions, sometimes a little bit of controversy around things that he said. There are less people that Rory McIlroy can sort of hide in the mm. shadow of at tournaments these days, and not that he stays in the shadow as much anyway. Well, speaking of draws, nobody hits a high draw off the tee like Rory McIlroy. Hopefully he's able to do exactly that in 2024. Back on golf today. Quite the week in the island of Maui as the PJ Tour season kicked off. Jordan Spieth in the mix really until 16. How about a 10 under 63? One of two 63s on Sunday. Saith Tagala. And then there's your winner, Chris Kirk. Now a six-time winner on the PGA Tour. Now the tour heads to Oahu and the Sony Open. And one of the voices here again this week, you heard it last, but John Wood on course reporter, caddy for more than 20 years. On the PJ Tour, Luke for Matt Kuchar, Hunter Mahan, Mark Kalkovecchia, Kevin Sutherland of, of Sacramento, one of my favorite folks in the game, calling him Linus because you have a towel they carry around like a blanket and joined NBC Sports full-time in 2021. The pride of UC Berkeley, John Wood, joins us now. It's great to see you. Listen, I was stunned yesterday with what Chris Kirk did on 17, and to hear him say he went from 7-iron to five iron to hit that shot. What are those conversations like between player and caddy? Because Chris said that never happens, a two club difference. Those are very nervous moments for the caddy and a player because you've kind of played all day long and no wind at all. All of a sudden you get to the 17th P, it's howling into you. Okay, we can deal with that, that's fine. Uh, it's a good drive down there. And then you get to the ball, you're standing there and it's completely downwind as you're waiting. And then it's your turn to hit and it comes straight back into you. So to do all that and then actually trust that you've made the right decision to make that kind of swing, it's unbelievable. I mean, it was such a good swing. He settled on the club and committed to it 100%. And when you're back and forth like that, that is such a difficult thing to do. John, I want to talk about somebody else who was in the mix yesterday, Scotty Scheffler. He finished four back. And there were a lot of great signs that we're accustomed to seeing out of Scotty Scheffler. You know, third in strokes gained off the tee, first in approach, 45th on the greens. He, he spotted Chris Kirk 14 strokes on the greens this week and finished four back of him. Is it too early to run up a red flag or is this a thing basically? No, I think it's way too early. Um, you know, he just started working with Phil Kenyon after the, the Ryder Cup or right around right after the Ryder Cup, putted well at the, at the Hero. Um, and I think these things are still getting into place. You know, he shortened his putter, thicker grip, uh, lowered his hands in terms of letting them hang a little bit more, reading greens completely on his own. So maybe it'll take a few more events to get completely settled into that routine that, that he's using now. 
But uh, I think it's way too early. And I think the thing you have to remember about Scheffler is the way he hits it, he doesn't have to be top 10 in putting. He's got to be average. So uh, I think it's way too early to make any judgments or, or run up any red flags, as you said. Well, from red flags to the red shirt, Tiger Woods and Nike parting ways after some 27 years together. Tiger went on social media, Nike saying the same thing, loved the relationship, incredible iconic moments. From your standpoint, what will stand out to you about a nearly three-decade relationship between Tiger Woods and Nike? It was so iconic, you know. I think he, um, <coughs> I think the the level of, I don't, I'm not a fashion critic at all, but I think as, as the years went on, it just got better and better and better, more tailored to what he wanted. Um, the, you know, the fits were always impeccable. And those those Sunday Reds, how they always managed to come up with something new, whether it was the mock, you know, the mock uh, turtle that he wore for a while, different little patterns and the, the traditional all red. Um, it's just, it's an iconic thought. And the other thing is <clears throat> that shot on 16 at Augusta with that Nike swoosh just kind of teetering over at the last minute as it fell in the, in the hole. Um, that's, that's what I'll remember most about that relationship. Any surprises in what you saw this week, in the first week of the season, John? I mean, Ludwig Ober got a, a sharp reminder of how tough the pro game could be. Smallest field he's ever played in, second worst finish as a pro. Is it too early to declare Ludwig a bust? <laughs> <laughs> I'd say so. Um, you know, that, I don't uh, put much stock into a first time, uh, you know, when you play there the first time, it's such a unique golf course in terms of, you know, the elevation changes, the walk itself, reading greens there is extremely difficult. Um, so, I, I, you know, I wouldn't put too much stock into, into Ludwig. He's, he's allowed to have a bad week. I expect him to bounce back here at the Sony. Um, but it, it, was a different, um, it, it was a different feeling over there. Usually when you get to the Century, you know, everybody's, everybody's won, and it's kind of a relaxed atmosphere, it, it, to be honest with you. Everybody's having fun. You want to play well. You want to win. But it's just kind of an island atmosphere. Last week was was different. It was serious all week long. The fact that um, it's, it's, it isn't the status it is now, um, instead of just that small field, it's a bigger field, and it was a lot more, uh, just a lot more serious from, from day one. Real quick, before we let you, we, you go, John, it's rookie orientation week at the Sony Open. What's one thing these rookies need to know that the tour is not going to tell them? You're an experienced hand. You tell them what it yeah. is. Just because you're at the course all day, Tuesday and Wednesday, doesn't mean you are getting better. Don't <laughs> wear yourself out. <clears throat> Have some energy on Thursday. Don't pitch your game in the bullpen. Great advice from someone who's been out there a long, long time. What do we appreciate it? Enjoy the two-week two-step in Hawaii. Will do. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right. You know what? Uh, Woody knows what it's like to be a newbie on the NBC broadcast team. How did the kids do in his debut? Find out next on Golf Today. Golf Today. Brought to you by Shrixon Z-Star Series Golf Balls. More speed, more spin, more Z-Star. And by Epson Tour. Road to the LPGA. now for the 19th hole. How about Kevin Kisner making his debut for the NBC Sports Golf crew, sitting next to Tommy Roy, the legendary golf producer. When it's time to put on a headset, the kids quickly made an impression. 
watching this distance. This is always the distance I make him putt when we're playing matches because I n you never know what you're going to get. He spent more time on this three-footer than he does on 25-footers. And, you know, I try to, if I was going to help him, I'd tell him to speed it up a little bit on these and just knock it in. He knows how to make these. Is he going to look at the hole? He yep. did. Yeah. Oh. Right he called the kids. It's three feet, Jordan. Just knock it in, bud. <laughs> Maybe my favorite part of the week was that moment where he said, hey, you know how to make a three-footer? Just, just knock it in, George. Just hit it, bud. And then I think on the next day, on Sunday, I mean, Jordan did putt a lot better. He's very, you know, meticulous, as you know. I thought Kiz did a lot of great first calling in his debut. And there is some precedent for uh, a player still in his competitive prime, as Kisner is, and heading into the booth. My, my friend Terry Galway, who's a golf geek of the highest order, emailed me over the weekend to remind me that Tom Seaver went into the booth as a pitcher who became a broadcaster back in 1977. Of course, he was pitching for the Mets, so he didn't have to worry about the playoffs, which is really what <laughs> he was broadcasting at the time. But Frank Gifford was also still playing when he went into the booth mm. as well. And it's a tough position to be in as an active player. And, and Kisner said that on the show last week. You know, how critical can you be of players who you are friendly with, but you're also going to have a tea time with them this mm. week at the Sony. It's a difficult balance to walk. I think he's such a great putter. He's been in the top 10 in strokes <coughs> putting several times throughout his career. Kind of like a Brad Faxon. I, I love kind of the cerebral nature, you know, in a different package, different presentation than Brad. But I think he's going to bring a lot to the broadcast team. And a lot of self-deprecating humor there as well. There, there's a wryness to Kevin Kisner that's missing in golf sometimes. Yes. We could all use a little more of that. No doubt about it. This was a lot of fun. Anna Jackson and Norm Gambuza of the PGA Tour on Golf Circle at 4. We will see you tomorrow.